Hey, Susan. Hi, Saji. Hey, we're back. We are we are back, and today we're lucky enough to have a very special guest. This is um, Dr. James Ferguson. Jim. Yay. Okay, <laughs> so before we um, learn more about uh, Jim, I'll do the brief disclaimer. So the views and opinions of uh, Saji, myself, and now Jim are our own views and opinions, and in no way uh, reflect the views and opinions of the TCU and UNT Health Science Center School of Medicine. Agree. Yay. All right. Well, is it Happy New Year? It is Happy New Year. It's All 2020. Right. Yay. Wonderful. Yay. I hope everyone had a good time with their family. Yes. Yeah. So um, we thought that today we'd um, bring in an, a subject matter expert. So uh, the focus of this session with your students will be uh, the third uh, uh, session on cardiovascular um, topics and then also introducing the peripheral vascular exam. So uh, without further ado, Jim, if you don't mind just telling our audience a little bit about yourself. Okay, well thank you all so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm a cardiologist. Um, I uh, trained at uh, Baylor College of Medicine and then woo in woo. San Antonio at Brooke Army Medical Center. That's right. Woo woo. Also go Army. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so obviously I have a lot in common with Susan. We have kind of similar roots. Yes. Um, I've been uh, just really blessed to be able to serve as a, a faculty member on the cardiology uh, fellowship program uh, in San Antonio and spent a number of years as the program director there. More recently uh, my family's moved up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's been a delight to join the faculty here at the School of Medicine and participate as one of the clinical uh, faculty cohorts uh, for the clinical skills uh, section. And so we've had a great time over the last uh, really four to six weeks or so working with the students on cardiovascular examination and clinical skills as it relates to the uh, cardi uh, area of cardiology. Um, so um, I'm delighted to be here and happy to participate in the podcast today. Cool. So also, okay, uh, Jim is very modest. So he is the um, star of the <laughs> clinical skills video exam uh, series. You so check him out there. So you can see him there. <laughs> and then also, okay, so um, Jim is like big time in terms of podcasting. So I was scrolling through this weekend, <laughs> like, you know, I'm like a sporadic curbsiders listener. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. This And there was this atrial fibrillation episode. I was like, yes, I know. I know it's been updated. I need to live. And I was like, what? James Ferguson. So, <laughs> so everyone, there's this. This is a shameless plug for you. I've um, put the link, but listen to our own James um, uh, Ferguson talk um, with the Curbsiders podcasters. They call themselves the Internal Medicine Podcast. So if you haven't subscribed, I, they, I really dig their whole their whole show. But uh, 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 Jim talks for like a long time about <laughs> atrial fibrillation. They have great show yes. notes, so it's a big plug for that. So I really yes. I enjoyed that and thought, whoa, why don't we have Jim on our podcast since he's a local. Uh, resource and colleague and you can also talk to the students they all know him and totally totally love the sessions that he put on for the yes. last three yes uh, totally. very yeah. nice thank you very much <laughs> so, so so um uh, jim is is not very impressed with our podcast setup but uh <laughs> but someday we will uh we will uh improve but uh, yes, for now we're low. What we got we yeah. got what we got so we'll just, um, in general, um, if you guys could give us a heads up, what are, tell the preceptors, what are the students focusing on? Because I think clinical skills is actually happening for this session, like today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
So today was all about putting it all together. Yeah. You know, um, going from the JVP to precordial exam to peripheral vascular disease um, and getting the ability to practice a lot of that. Okay. And Jim, mm -hmm. was there, there's also, I mean, hemodynamics, we were doing a lot of maneuvers. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've we spent a lot of time really trying to take the the cardiovascular physiology, the associated pathophysiology, and the hemodynamics, and think about how that relates to the physical exam findings uh, with the cardiovascular exam. And so it's been a lot of fun trying to tie all that together. We've really, I think, overloaded the students with lots of information, <laughs> hopefully some of which has been absorbed right. and some of which will be reflected in their time and their LIC right. experience in, in the near yes. future. Yeah. yeah, I have to say also some preceptor feedback. They've also been a little overwhelmed. I had some really, really. <laughs> yeah, but, but guys, it gets better because we're going to do some ABIs this week. <laughs> so get so ready. Get your blood pressure cuffs ready yes. and your Dopplers out. That's and right. I'm, and I'm sure all of our busy practitioners have another extra 20 minutes for every yes. patient to check ABI. Yeah, right. yes, so should right. be fun. Yes. How was that Karim also mentioned in the article, right? What, how is that a good 20% of the yes. patients are asymptomatic right. but have so, severe peripheral vascular yeah, disease? Absolutely. Yes. A, a low ABI is a coronary heart disease equivalent, and, yes. uh, and yeah. they have the same sort of relatively poor cardiovascular outcomes yes. as patients with established cardiovascular or coronary artery disease. Yeah. 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 Very good. All right. Well, we'll just get right to it. So um, these are the session objectives. This is what you'll see on Skills Eval for your student this week. Um, so number one, Saji. Demonstrate the ability to perform and present a cardiovascular and peripheral vascular examination. Great. Number two. Discuss review of systems for peripheral vascular disease. All right. Number three, document a problem-focused history, vitals, a general impression, cardiovascular and peripheral vascular examination, and now assessment and plan in a clinical note per site protocol. Last, enroll at least one patient to your patient panel. Yes, so students will actually have until the 20th of January to enroll one uh, patient to their panel. Um, okay, so now we'll just go into um, what are some things that we think you can do to help your students achieve these objectives. So number one, Jim. Continue the discussion about your approach to the patient with cardiovascular and peripheral vascular concerns and help the student describe each cardiovascular and peripheral exam they perform. Highlight the six P's of arterial insufficiency, pain, pulselessness, pallor, paresthesia, paralysis, and poikilothermia. Consider reflecting on the patients you and your students have seen and chest pain and how you have evaluated these patients. What increases your concern for cardiac causes of chest pain? And I really like how Saji talked about this session is like putting it all together and you know, I, I think some preceptors have, um, have like, uh, you know, gave, given some feedback, well, we didn't get a chance to do X, Y, or Z for the session, but just knowing that, you know, this, this is the beginning of kind of ongoing discussions and, um, of course, common things being common, probably every, every student now has encountered someone with chest pain presenting in the primary care setting. So we just, you know, just as students start to um, build and expand on their skills, another place where we're pushing them is also to now think about what's causing some of these concerns. And then we really, you know, want everyone to get really deliberate on how they're making 
their um, their decisions. So um, what what goes into your medical decision making? Yeah. All right. We we do have an emphasis on history taking. So during our we do it morning report style. And during that, they hypothesis test, you know? So while they're asking, okay, I wanna know if they had chest pain, is it pleuritic or not pleuritic? Yes. They're coming with, okay, if you're asking that question, that means you're thinking, is it pulmonary or is it cardiac? Yes. Um, so so they, they are there, they're making a differential. So asking them these things is not too early. Exactly. Yeah. And just know like in their, um, in their flip classroom content content application sessions and like the basic science stuff, you know, they're talking cases where they're running mm-hmm. through things like this. Then, you know, they're doing it in the clinical skills world and, and then they're doing it really in the real world with you. So it's a really wonderful um, opportunity for them to very early start to think about how they're making these assessments and what goes into all of the the decision making that we do show them an ekg yeah they will be Mm -hmm. so excited yes because they're looking at they've looked at ekgs in their um, content application Mm -hmm. they're looking at it with you and now they get to look at it at the point of care so yeah okay all right um number two uh jim (laughs) <laughs> we put you on the spot okay. review and review ass- and assess student documentation of the patient's story, vitals, general impression, cardiovascular and peripheral vascular exam for at least one patient in a clinical note per site protocol. Yes, and I'm getting good feedback. People are asking questions about, you know, documenting the EMR and all that stuff. So just keep on keeping on because we're continuing to build this skill. It would be helpful if you review their note. Yes. Uh, and give them critical feedback. Yes. Nothing yeah. nothing is a bummer like like doing something and then and no then the teacher doesn't it. look at it. So <laughs> please, please yeah. teacher, look yeah, at it. Look at it because also it'll help us in clinical schools. Yes. Yeah. So I'll take this one. Students are expected to enroll one patient in their panel by the twentieth of January. Um, so please, you know, hopefully since, you know, late October, you guys have been having a discussion about uh, who would be a great patient for the panel. So check in with your student on who they've chosen and how you can now help optimize and coordinate continuity for the panel patient with the student. And then start to talk to them about potential clinical experiences with the panel patient outside of your clinic. So for instance, um, you know, if your student needs to see a cardiologist uh, like Jim, so you know, where, where can we deliberately plan for the student to maybe be there when that happens? Or, you know, tell them, like, if your patient gets admitted to the hospital, it'd be great for you to go. In fact, you'd be expected to go and, and visit that, um, that patient. I'm going to be talking to the students because there's a lot of anxiety about um, the specifics, how the execution of this. So I'll be talking with students in early January about, again, about patient panel specifics. But just in general, if they have chosen one, I want them to, you know, name the patient to you. I'm going to be checking on that with a, an assignment. Um, but, and I just want you to also be helping them facilitate um, continuity experience. Okay, and then finally, Saji. Uh, in preparation for the midpoint assessment, reflect on how things have been going with your student and review the phase one LIC patient care rubric and plan for a time to debrief the mid-year assessment during session 11 or 12. Yes, it's coming up, midpoint. I can't oh, wow. believe it. It's, it's, it's um, gone fast. So now, um, now we just wanted to uh, turn our um, attention to, uh, to Jim. And um, so one of, not you know, in addition to you uh, being cardiologist and an expert in cardiology, 
and being a cohort faculty here. Um, we, I also learned actually from the Curbsiders podcast of your interest in physician wellness. Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to spend some time um, talking about that a bit. If you could give us um, uh, an idea into how you got into this as, a, as an interest in, and maybe some tips for a busy, frazzled clinician in a holiday time, yeah. how, to, how to be well. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> maybe that's can you good. do it? Jim? Maybe maybe some New okay. Year resolutions. Yeah. That's, a, that's, yeah. that's no small task, obviously. Make but, us well, uh, yes, but, please. But thank you for that. And, and sure, um, my interest in wellness. Well, um, I've, I've been part of the leadership of a fellowship uh, program for a number of years. Um, I've served on committees in the hospital, like the Impaired Provider Committee. And um, so I've encountered um, physicians that have had adversity in their lives for lots of different reasons over the years. And, uh, and then I've had some personal experience, like most of us have, with um, feeling burned out at times and feeling that sense of, of uh, emotional exhaustion that comes with doing a very challenging job. And so I'm sure that um, many of our listeners out there today can identify with that and it's uh, almost passe now to, to talk about the epidemic of physician burnout in our society. It's extremely well known, um, and, uh, but very important and has very strong implications on really the, the health of our um, medical care system in our country. And so I think that's the motivation that I had um, in looking into this and developing a bit of an interest and, and really how we can prevent that and maintain a sense of wellness or well-being in our physicians um, at large. Yeah. So I, I, we were talking earlier, and I, it, it, it kind of um, ignites a little bit of anger in this. It's become passe for, in, in me because I just think, no, you know, yeah, it's so common. We just all kind of get conditioned to accept almost this fact of, um, of this, of, of the how things are, and so I'm so glad that that we we don't just roll over it and 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 move out, you know, <laughs> to use an right. army term, um, yes. but that we we pause and and we kind of consider how how can we how can we do this besides just kind of right. breathing deeping deep breathing in yoga. It's not it's yes. not the answer to go take a yoga class yeah. and do some deep breathing. So what can we do? Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's it's really true that I think there's been a lot of lament about the. St- the, the state of the American physician, um, as it were, but there hasn't been a lot said about what we can do about it. And so a couple of things that are important is first remember that while it affects physicians, it's not really a problem um, specific to physicians. It's really a, a, uh, a result of the work environment that we're in. And particularly as we've all, or many of us has, have become employed persons, we have much of our autonomy as physicians has is no longer present. We've got basically a lot of institutional issues that are driving that are driving this. And so, and so while it's important to think about how individually we can make some changes to improve our status and help prevent burnout, um, it's important that we understand that this is not really a a problem that's related to individual physicians per se. So understanding that, you kind of I think we're left with well, what to do about it. And um, so um, a couple of of simple things that have come up that I think are actually now relatively well demonstrated in the literature about what we can do to prevent burnout and to improve wellness um, at an individual level 
are, you know, number one, uh, things we can do to enhance our well-being. And, uh, and so, again, I don't, I'm not sure I'm really uh, mentioning anything that hasn't already been um, widely publicized and probably well-known, but certainly needs to be emphasized. Just simple self-care. This is something that probably should be emphasized at the earliest reaches of our medical training now. It needs to become part of the culture of medicine. And this is something that our LIC um, proctors can spend time talking with our medical students about. Uh, but yeah, things like sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Uh, sounds really rudimentary and really um, you know, fundamental, and it really is. Uh, but it ha- you have to be purposeful in doing that in your own life. You know, making sure you have time to get a full night's sleep as much as possible, uh, attending to your own nutrition and carving out time to exercise on a regular basis. Uh, these are all very important, um, you know, self-care things. Uh, another uh, recommendation is to make sure you're taking your vacation time. If you're leaving vacation time on the table at the end of the year, uh, that's actually probably not in service to yourself, your family and friends, um, and other social contacts that you have, and even to your patients. Um, and so thinking about using your vacation time you know, uh, wisely in order to even benefit your patients is maybe a healthy way to think about that. And then you need a support network. So um, you need to build yourself a support network. It includes your contacts that you have with your friends and family members, um, church, other civic organizations are really important here. Um, in terms of your professional life, uh, things that can be done here would, would be uh, things that you do to eliminate chaos in your practice. Um, that could actually be a relatively easy thing. Um, and so there's lots of the, the little gravel in your shoes that you walk around with every day uh, in the office, in the hospital, and in your practice that, that are annoying to you but you may not realize can become drivers of burnout. And so if you can find you know, relatively simple things that are bothering you on a regular basis that you can be aware of and, and uh, remedy those things, um, that can actually really help you in the long run. And so don't, don't forget to think about the little things that bother you. Uh, taking many breaks um, every day, just a, a 15 minute break to sort of have a break in the action, separate yourself from the office or the hospital uh, on a nice day like we're having today, a 15 minute walk can do wonders. So remember to kind of think about things like that. Look at the design of the workflow in your office. Um, redesigning workflow to improve efficiency uh, can be a huge way to uh, improve the satisfaction that you actually have by going to work every day. So thinking about that as a way to uh, improve uh, uh, workflow in the office can, can improve that. And that brings up this idea of um, the, the EMR and the documentation burden that we all suffer Ugh. with. And That's yes, a big ug. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, it, you know, we used to think that EMR wasn't that big of a deal, but it keeps coming up in, when people identify drivers of burnout. And so, um, you know, that's a whole nother nut to crack, of course. But, <laughs> but, but thinking about the documentation burden that goes along with every visit and how that can be shared among your different office workers and your healthcare assistants um, could be very important. So thinking about that and being proactive there 
is is an important thing. And then, you know, I would say the last thing under kind of a professional thing is just to, to try to learn how you can become an advocate for change at the institutional level. Much of the stress that you all are experiencing is thrust upon us by echelons above the clinic where the institutional um, boss is, uh, is in charge. And, and we need changes at that level to actually make changes that can prevent burnout and improve well-being on a broad scale. And so uh, if you can, be an advocate for change at the institutional level. Um, just a couple other thoughts. Uh, first about work-life balance. That's almost a misnomer, really, and uh, you know because there's there's only such. I think it's like a uniform. I think it. I think you're right. (laughs) Exactly. And so and so it's so easy to get cynical about that, but but there's there's only there's only so many hours in the day, and we only have so much time, and ultimately, um, work-life balance is really about what we value and uh, where we put our priorities in our lives. And so that has to be how we view that whole idea. Um, I would say trying to be proactive about carving out time for family and personal pursuits each week is very important. And uh, planning your life calendar with your family and friends to make certain commitments that that then you vigorously defend when in the future other work requirements come up. And then finally, Mindfulness and gratitude, much has been said about that, but you know, thinking about the way you think about your environment and how you react to all the stimulus that, and the stimuli that are constantly bombarding you um, and rewiring the way that we process about our environment is actually extremely helpful. And so working on things like mindfulness and gratitude can be useful. So those are a few um, you know, maybe common sense sort of tips uh, to start to think about in your own life to try to improve your sense of meaning and purpose um, in your work. Um, hopefully you're able to identify with that sense of calling that uh, you once had, if you don't have now, in terms of uh, perpetuating your ability to practice and service to others. And um, we have a, a, a kind of a resource uh, for everyone, the Stanford Well MD site. Perhaps we can send that out yes. by email, a I'll, link. I'll and I would encourage anyone that's suffering about now and, and uh, needs a boost to, and even maybe for others, if you think you're doing fine. One of the things we know is that physicians aren't very good at judging when they're okay. And yeah. so just taking a little inventory, even if you think you're doing fine by going to this, this website, can be very useful uh, as well as much uh, a number of other tools that can help you in your um, quest to maintain your, your well-being uh, for the uh, sake of yourself, your family, and your patients. Nice. Oh, thank you, Jim. It's really it's great to hear even, I think we take it for granted, like this, there is this sort of yeah, yeah, wellness, but it just to be... Um, you know, we're all in fast forward. All of us are mm-hmm. always operating in fast forward. And it even some of these things that you just talked about, I think, yes, like that, taking that 15 minute break, I want to do that, you know, so I'm, I very much appreciate your time and coming to talk to us about this. And um, hopefully, we'd love to bring Jim back and maybe just dedicate some time around this 
really yes. important topic. We just don't want to blow by wellness and and just say we check the box and you're good, right? But we really want to maybe take a deeper dive um, about how we can cultivate uh, wellness in our in the culture of our medical school and in in our own local physician community culture. Yeah. We're physician education. Yep, our cope. We're trying to um, um, build this as well um, for all of our distributed faculty here so um thanks very much for yeah. being our guest you're welcome yeah. thank you yeah and send us some comments you know if this is something that we want to go ahead and have a separate series about i mean that yeah. would be something we could do yeah yeah okay all right great well wow. all right guys stay well stay well yeah